Today's episode of the Hi Hat Film Podcast is brought to you by Omni Consumer Products. From consumer products to military weaponry and private space travel, OCP's gunning down the competition. Omni Consumer Products. I'd buy that for a dollar. Hello everyone and welcome along to the 31st episode of the Hi-Hat Film Podcast, a comical and critical look at the world of cinema. I'm your host for the proceedings, Michael Clancy, and today we have another film up for consideration for the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame. This week it is the 1990 Paul Verhoeven sci-fi action film Total Recall. Yes, this week the Australian juggernaut himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger, is under the microscope as he attempts to muscle his way onto the list. It's going to be a tough battle, but you can't spell Schwarzenegger without war. And for a film that focuses on confronting the past and forgetting trying times from earlier in our lives, we shall get to that in due time. As always, from here on in, there are spoilers aplenty for Total Recall, but before we get to the meat and potatoes of the film, here's a bit from the trailer. Your mind. It is the center of your life. It is everything you hear, everything you see, everything you feel. It is everything you are. How would you know if someone stole your mind? And so we have a very special edition of the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame for today as a kind of blast from the past, if you will, comes on the show to submit a film for consideration into the illustrious Hall of Fame. And uh, pleased to welcome back, well, a man that has in fact been banned from all internet podcasts for a considerable time due to his uh, some slanderous remarks that he's made about some of Hollywood's biggest. There was a uh, internet embargo placed upon him. Uh, here's a little clip of what's got him into trouble in the past. Woody's life in showbiz began in the 1920s when he portrayed the lovable clown Charlie Chaplin in a string of successful silent films. He then, uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, he adopted his trademark bumbling, insecure, neurotic Jewish character in hit comedies Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Little Shop of Horrors and Ghostbusters, as well as uh, the animated cowboy hero in Toy Stories 1 and 3. (laughs) 
And so exploiting every corporate legal loophole that we could possibly exploit um, may not be here to uh, be able to present the show, but there's nothing that says we can't have him on as a guest. So making the case for the film today, pleased to welcome back uh, my my heterosexual life partner, Mr. Nick Murray. Welcome back to the show. A pleasure to be back, Michael Fancy. We haven't spoken since our last podcast. Your lawyers have assured me that you are going to be on your best behaviour for today. I am bound and gagged as... uh as heterosexual life partners often are in yes. these scenarios, and um, I'm going to be on my best behaviour, yes. Yes, we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, right, so, you do have a film up for contention into the Hall of Fame. We've got a couple of things to talk about before we can even whisper the name of the film that you're wanting to submit, so we'll okay, get okay. to that all in due time. Uh, first of all, as we are attempting to branch out more on this film podcast and talk about more than one film per show, uh, what was the last thing you saw in the cinema? I saw Gone Girl recently. Oh, I. Yeah, um, and I didn't think I didn't think much for going in. I didn't have any uh, preconceptions or expectations. I listened to to John Fitzpatrick talking about David Fincher in the Fight Club uh, Hi Hat podcast. And I thought I'll give this a go. Ben Affleck, not not a huge um, fan of Ben Affleck, but I was blown away. Great uh, great storytelling and some ridiculous twists, of fine acting, and 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 finally directed. So uh, big fan of that. I really liked it too, and. Everyone that I speak to is kind of of the same, don't really like Ben Affleck very much. What what has he got to do to kind of finally turn people around? Because he's that's been the attitude for him. He's gone and he won an Oscar directing Argo and he's back mm-hmm. now with this. And He's too pretty. It's too pretty. I think it's just petty jealousy amongst people. He needs people. to be facially scarred and lose a limb for, for any real vulnerability to come across on screen. Will being Batman help, seeing as all that you'll be able to see of him then is that damn powerful jaw of his. <laughs> I don't think being Batman will help him. Nothing can save Baffleck now from the back, the Bafflacks. Yeah, I would have said a Batlash. A, ba- a back, a Baffleck Batlash. Yeah, that's that's what we'll a call it. A Batflashy's Baffleck. Yeah. Is that, was a thumbs up for Gone Girl then? Yeah, I would say so. I, it really surprised me. Um, <laughs> as films <laughs> Several say, times. When you have no expectations, uh, a film can surprise you and that had... That had everything. It's really nice to see um, Barney get his come up, comeuppance as well from uh, from How I Met Your Mother. So yeah, just to tick off, uh, if you were playing the Nick Murray bingo at home, would you describe it as either gritty or did you go on a journey at any point? I went on a journey to the cinema, which oh. is just across the road. So it wasn't much of a journey, but um, it was a particularly icy day, and the roads had been gritted. Right. So does that count? Yeah, I suppose so. Great. Yeah. Ah, it's good to have you back. Good to have you back. <laughs> Alright, so things have changed around here. I run a much tighter ship now, uh, now that you're not a regular uh, regular co-presenter on the show. So um, I'm sure you're familiar with our quick-fire questions and our attack of the Rotten Tomatoes. Is this to, uh, to test my credentials to be worthy of being on the podcast? Yes. After we've done... 20 episodes. 20 together. episodes, nearly 20 hours of, of on-demand audio on the airwaves, and now I have to, to jump through your jump through your rings, Michael Clancy. Well, it's just a bit of fun, isn't it? Okay. But I think some people that are listening would say that you, more than anyone, need to prove your credentials. Fair point. All right, first up, quick fire questions. First thing that pops into your head. Um, these are especially catered Nick Murray questions. First up, Ewan McGregor or Ewan Bremner? Oh, I mean, I'm friends with, with, with Bremner, so it has to be Bremner. All right. Popcorn or nachos? <sighs> Probably nachos, I think. Yeah, They're okay. too noisy for the cinema, though. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. You could just suck them until they go kind of limp. That's then, perverse. Yeah, I suppose. Moving swiftly on. Sleep, sleepless in Seattle or When Harry Met Sally? Sleepless in... No, no. Mm, oh, my goodness. 
I think with Harry Met Sally. Rocky or The Wrestler? The Wrestler. Cannibal Holocaust or Driller Killer? Cannibal Holocaust. CGI or CG Naw? CG Naw, all the way. <laughs> Spider-Man, Superman or Batman? I love Spider-Man, yeah. um, but he's not... He's not made enough good films. Yeah, in the cinema context. It's got to be Batman. Yeah, I think. Original Batman, Michael Keaton Batman. Okay, uh, are you ready for this one? Anna Faris or Ryan Gosling? <sighs> Can I not have them both in, nope. in the bedroom? What does your heart tell you? My heart tells me Gosling, but other parts of my body are probably better equipped to deal with Faris. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, finally, with uh, the... Bearing in mind the film you're submitting today, The Terminator, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, Terminator Salvation, or The Sarah Connor Chronicles. Okay, it's a tricky one. I think T Terminator was a groundbreaking film. Uh, Terminator 2 is just your classic blockbuster. I think, I mean Terminator 2, come on. Yeah. It's Terminator 2. Terminator, but the, the thing is there wouldn't be a Terminator 2 without Terminator because mm -hmm. that's how sequels work, right? Generally, yeah. you, you generally start with the first one. Uh, salivation, was, dreadful. Yeah, dry mouth for Terminator Salivation. I don't mind Terminator Three. It has to be. Said. I do mind it. Do you? It's All pathetic. Right. It's it's a sad departure, but I think there's enough in it to. As a side note, I'm actually working on my my comeback as my, the Terminator for Halloween. I did it before, and I'm mm. working on it now. I had some empty um, shotgun cartridges delivered to my shop today. And okay. for the chest, and I'm ready to bring the Terminator back. So you're not going to go as Robert Patrick this time. You're sticking with uh, Arnie's well, my T1000 or whatever it was. Yeah, I'm going to go as a Terminator. I'm right. thinking about a hipster Terminator, maybe with a plaid shirt and a beard. All right, we'll look out for pictures of that on the Hi Hat Facebook page <laughs> in the future. All right, good. Um, a good hearty round of quick fire questions. I think we can progress seamlessly onto the game that is sweeping the internet world: Attack of the Rotten Tomatoes. Are, are you are you okay with the name? I know you submitted a couple of uh, different potential names for. I can't even remember what my submissions were. Yeah. You weren't um, high card with a vengeance. No. That was good. That was quite good. I almost went with that one. But that's where we're at. I, I chose that one in honour of you because I know you talked about Attack of the Killer Tomatoes Great on film. this podcast. Yeah. What was that for? Food related? I think it was. I think it was the top five films with food in the title. That's when we were clutching the straws for top fives. <laughs> that was one of our later episodes. Okay, so I'm sure you're familiar with the, the game. It is kind of like Bruce's Play Your Cards Right. You've got to guess higher or lower based on the film score on your favourite film related website, mm. Rotten Tomatoes and depending on how high it scored in the Metacritic's uh, world. So you have a choice of categories you can choose from, Nick. Your choices are movies based on Marvel comics. Mm. You can have Martin Scorsese movies, or you can have movies starring professional wrestlers. Let's have the Marvel comics, guys. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, um, I'm going to start you off with one of my absolute favourites, one of the original ones, going back a few years with Wesley Snipes. It is Blade. You like that film? Uh, yeah, no, I watched it. You recommended it yeah. for me. I loved it, yeah. Right, well, I loved it. You loved it. Great. It has the disappointing score of 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, so that's your starting point. It's disappointing because it scored so low, but it's also difficult for you because it's somewhere in the middle, which mm. makes your next one quite difficult. So 
your next film is the Chris Hemsworth Norse mythology comic book adaptation Thor. This is the most recent Thor. No, this is the uh, the first Thor. Uh, I'd say higher. Yeah. Yeah. It did score a score of seventy-seven percent, so you're off to a good start. Thanks. You can't get them all right unless you get the first one right. So that's true. Well done to you. All right, your next one up after that is the first. Chris Evans starring Captain America one, so I think it was called Captain America the First Avenger, and that came out I think the same year as Thor, um, whichever year that These was. These were all the ones leading up to the Avengers. Yeah, well. this was uh, pre. This was 2011 that this came out. I'm going to say lower, lower than 77. Lower than 77. It's 79 percent. It did a little bit better. I think Thor was slight. I don't know. They were both fairly forgettable, to be honest. Although, did you see the second Captain America film? No. It was good. It was actually quite good. It was kind of like a political uh, conspiracy. I stopped watching films after I got bumped from the show. Did you? Fair enough. Alright, well, you've got one out of two so far. Uh, Your next one up is the latest Iron Man film, Iron Man 3, with Robert Downey Jr. That came out. I I think that was the first one that came out after The Avengers. It came out in 2013. Yeah, higher again. Higher? 78% 78% I'm afraid it comes in lower. <laughs> these are all one percentages. No, no, I know. I'm going to go online okay. and submit a review to change these percentages. <laughs> okay, well, you, you can. It won't help you today, unfortunately. Uh, Alright, your next one up was uh, one of the more recent ones, Guardians of the Galaxy with Chris Pratt and uh, mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper, Zoe Saldana. Batista. Uh, Dave Batista, yeah. Big Dave. Big I'll Dave. say h- higher. Higher than 78%. Came in at 92%. You're joking. Yeah. No, I'm not actually. I'm not joking. I'm very, very serious. So, wow. You got two out of four so far. Next up is the, as it was known here, Avengers Assemble. Mm. 92% is the score to be. It has to be lower than 92%. That's a ridiculous score. You would think it'd have to be lower, um, but it isn't. What? It isn't higher either. Unfortunately, it came in at the. Not often played equal you can't scores ninety two percent. I didn't know that was one of the options. Uh, you should listen to the last episode. You're man. an absolute joker. Uh, well, I'm sorry. So uh, you got that one wrong. I'm afraid. Your next one up is the original Iron Man film L- with Robert Downey Jr. ninety two percent. Lower than ninety two. It came in at ninety three percent. I'm afraid to <laughs> this say this is this is rude. It's not. It's not. You're just you're guessing poorly. I'm afraid it's a difficult one. You you're should, a sneaky. You should have gone with professional wrestlers. Okay, um, the next one up, you've got one, two, three, four, so you can still salvage a good score out of it. You've got two so far, so you could still do quite well. Next one up is one that I talked about in my top five, and it was this... No, I can't bring this up, actually, <laughs> because it'll give it away, but it was Punisher Warzone, and if uh-huh. you remember what a top five we talked about it in, it's a pretty big clue to what the answer is. Oh yeah, much, much lower. Yeah, yeah, much lower. It's uh, um, under five percent, wasn't it? No, it wasn't that. We we it popped up. It was number one in my top five films that scored lower than thirty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and it came in at twenty seven percent. So that was Top Gun that had five percent. What was that about? Was it? I thought it was cocktail. No cocktail. Yeah, that's, that's very disappointing. I thought it was Top Gun because I'm wearing a, an aviator jacket today. Right, which of is course. Yeah, and you rode in with your sunglasses and your, your bicycle. I do. Very tall. Popping a wheelie on my motorbike. <laughs> Alright, next up then is the Nick Cage starring Ghost Rider. This is the first one, this isn't the Spirit of Vengeance. 27% is the score to be. So 
you think it did better or worse? No, I've seen a bit of that film on ITV2, obviously, and um, it is awful. So I'm going to say... I think higher, maybe like around the 30s. Right. At 26%. Oh, come on, this is so rigged. (laughs) It's not rigged, you're guessing wrong. Uh, I'm afraid... They're all I'm one number right, you're a joker. Well, Iron Man and Punisher Wars are Okay, so unlucky on that one, 26% for Ghost Rider. Your next one is starring, it was a spin-off from one of the least successful Marvel films, Daredevil, the spin-off with them. Um, yeah, the spin-off one with Jennifer Garner. Electra. Electra is your, your film, uh, your next one is a higher or lower than 26%. I can tell you that there is more than 1% difference. <laughs> I think that that was a monumental flop, so we're going to see Laura. At 10%, yeah. it was Laura. Congratulations. I hate her as well. She's all forehead and no action. Yeah, uh, she was quite good in Juno. As who? As the mum the, the, the frantic mother that came. Yeah. Good performance. No. You meant, you're meant to not like her. If I was her hipster husband, I would have left her for a pregnant 17 year old as well. In that film. He's, He's a bad egg. Good taste of music, but a rotten egg. Things have gone very badly. Alright, your last one, Nick, to salvage something. Uh, it is the kind of original movie, Marvel movie adaptation, uh, Howard the Duck yeah. from the 80s. Something, it's got something of a cult following. I think it was a massive financial flop. Have you ever seen it? I haven't seen it. I've, I started watching it, but it is, it is up there with the most unwatchable films. Going, uh, the, the question is, does it come in higher or lower than the 10% of Electra? Do you think it's maybe garnished enough favour over yeah, the years? Yeah, more than 10%, surely. At 14%, Howard the Duck does come in. It's got duck boobies in it. So I hear. Duck boobies in the bathtub. Right at the beginning, is it not? Yeah, yeah. Big mistake. That's on the if, duck planet. If you're going to have duck boobies, you got to leave that till the end, otherwise oh, people... I climax to it, turned it off. So. People won't stick about. That's it. Okay, so that was your uh, Marvel's based Attack of the Rotten Tomatoes, and you finished with a score of... That was a sham. You finished with 5 out of 10, which is respectable. I think you rigged it. In that it is uh, the... You're not the lowest scorer in the, in, to do it yet. You are the joint lowest scorer to do it with 5 out of 10. So, so I'm allowed to be the joint lowest, but because... Oh, this, no, this is just rigged. <laughs> it's not rigged, mate. You just guessed wrong. I'm not changing the scores. I'm leaving. You're not. I'm in a half. Are you? All right, well, we better move on to talk about your film then. This film scored 30% on Rotten Tomatoes 2012, starring Colin Farrell, uh, is Total Recall. You've got some bad info there, friend. Oh, what's this? It's Total Recall from 1990. Ah, the Paul Verhoeven one. Verhoeven. Verhoeven. And this is uh, nostalgic for both of us, Michael. I'm sure you can feel it in the air. This was my number one in the first ever episode of the Hi Hat Film Podcast, mm-hmm. way back ten years ago. You know when we only did one episode per year. Yes. And I gushed about it then, and I'm ready to gush about it even more. Wonderful. So this is the Arnold Schwarzenegger one. It scored. It's got a score of seven point five out of ten on the IMDb website. It's got an eighty four percent freshness on Rotten Tomatoes. It's huge. And as I have in my notes, probably the biggest accolade it's ever received. It was your number one Arnold Schwarzenegger film in the very first episode of the I Have Film Podcast. So, Nick, for people that haven't listened to that episode, which I can't imagine is anybody that is listening to this episode. Everybody's, everybody's heard it. Would you do me the, the honour of summarising the plot for Total Recalls? There's Wait. something about a lift to Australia. This, uh, 
That's the, perhaps the cleverest bit of the Colin Farrell one, is that, that lift. But we're not going to talk about that, it's not a good film. Okay. The plot uh, from 1990's Total Recall follows uh, a blue-collar construction worker named Douglas Quaid, and he's haunted by recurring dreams of the corrupt and colonised Mars. His wife and his meagre income restrict him from his fantasy travel plans, so instead he visits Recall, a company that will import a virtual reality experience into your memories, as if it were real. Quaid opts for a secret agent experience, but something goes wrong with the implant and is forced to travel to the Mars for real to take on the evil Cohagen Corporation with the Martian rebels, all the time trying to work out whether his life and identity, as shown in the film, is truly reality or just another dream. Excellently done. How did you like that? So did you read that synopsis from IMDb? I wrote, from the back of the DVD? I wrote that one myself. Very good. Um, I have a hard time. It's been a long time since I read out loud uh, for a podcast, so mm-hmm. I might uh, turn into a gibbering wreck. Mm-hmm. A gibbering jabroni in this episode, Michael, so... Yeah, well, it was expertly uh, summarised, so Thank you. you're you're off to a great start on that. It's uh, adapted from the Philip K. Dick's short story, We Can Remember For You Wholesale. Indeed. There's no. a line that I think pops up in the, the remake. Not that I'm, I'm, that's the last time I'm going to make reference to the 2012 film. Now, much like most of other uh, Philip K. Dick's short stories, they've butchered it. They've changed so much of it that it's really just the idea of this... Um, Total Recall and the, the multiple identities, which is yeah. is within the film, and um, I mean, what's wrong with Philip K. Dick? He can't. Why can Hollywood n- rename his stories so much better? Like, <laughs> uh, do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? It's like, who's going to see that film? Blade Runner. Oh, I'm intrigued. You know, we can remember it for you wholesale or Total Recall. It's mm-hmm. like he's he's a hack. He really was a hack. He, he reminds me of, um, I'm reminded of the, um, the story of the, the guy that wrote the Conan cartoons, right. the Conan comic books, which of course was another huge hit for Arnold. The writer of that felt that the presence of Conan, the real barbarian, was over his shoulder while he was typing, and he had to feverishly uh, write the stories of Conan so they could be told until he fell over exhausted and slept. And I can imagine uh, Philip K. Dick just having these crazy stories in his head and just writing them off and not even proofreading them, send them off to a <laughs> publisher and then just getting right down to the next one and, and this is what we're left with which is, which is why Hollywood has had to pick apart his stories. Yeah, well, there's that and then there's maybe, you know, just a, a tweaking it for a different medium perhaps sure. it's something that looks on the page is not as good as it looks on the screen but, alright, so... We know that you love this film mm. so much. It was your number one Schwarzenegger, and you are a Schwarzenegger fan. You, you've seen a, far more Schwarzenegger films than I have. So, Absolutely. why do you love this film so much? It's um, Carcolo Films, the film company that makes it. As soon as you see this logo at the start of the film, you just know that you're in for something special. The company uh, were prominent in the late 80s, early 90s, and they were attached to such powerhouse titles as Terminator, the Rambo series, Last Action Hero. Stargate and the, the cliffhanger. Uh, so you know you're in for a muscular ride of your life mm-hmm. with these films. Um, this is really a thinking man's action film, Michael. Very loosely adapted, as we mentioned, from the, the Philip K. Dick story. Um, it's everything a 90s action flick should be. There's romance, betrayal, intrigue, goons, and three-breasted prostitutes. Yes. Um, another reason I love this film is our man, Rob Bottin. We've never mentioned his name in the podcast, but we have studied his work in depth. He is responsible for uh, The Lord of Darkness in the 1985 Tom Cruise vehicle Legend, yeah. which we were forced to watch uh, once. Responsible for uh, seriously injuring uh, Tim Curry in the process. Indeed. Uh, he was uh, responsible for the special effects and makeup work on Robocop. 
mm-hmm. which we absolutely love. Uh, Seven, Mission yep. Impossible, he made the, the rubber masks mm-hmm. in that. He's responsible for the Lizard Lounge in uh, Fear and Loathing. And at just 21 years old, he worked on The Thing, yep. which is one of our favourite horror films. Um, during that film, he worked for one whole year, seven days a week, lots of late nights, and was actually treated for exhaustion afterwards. And you can, you can see that that is really a labour of love when you watch that film. He mm-hmm. did every single puppet, every single effect in that film, apart from the big uh, the dog, which is terrifying. And uh, he's really a visuals and prosthetics master. He's... He's a, an absolute hero, and he's a name that I wasn't actually familiar with until doing my research for this. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we've we've spraffed on on this podcast about how we love the old school kind of puppeteering, special effects, the makeup, special effects. And here is a man who whose work has popped up consistently on episodes that we've done together, mm-hmm. and also he worked on Fight Club, which has come up obviously. I sure. think it's come up in when we talked about it, but it's also come up uh, in the Hall of Fame. So yeah, I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's funny how he's popped up. The Thing, Legend, Robocop, Seven, Fear and Lo- all these ones that you mentioned. It's unbelievable, and uh, I'm somewhat ashamed that I didn't... Well, I didn't know that they were all done by the same person, mm-hmm. but to, uh, I'm, I'm glad that he is getting... Uh, a run out now because he, he truly is a legend of the Hi-Hat Film Podcast. He is. I mean, if you look at this film, the makeup of the psychic mutant children on Mars, mm-hmm. uh, Kuato, who of course is the, the Rebel Alliance leader yep. on the guy's stomach, uh, even the Johnny Cab robot puppet mm-hmm. that they make that speaks, and uh, and of course the fat lady whose head opens up and yeah. then explodes. You know, this uh, Kuato, for example, took 15 puppeteers to, that, yeah. to control, and uh, actually two people on set, asked Paul Verhoeven, the director, if the actor was actually born with like a Siamese brother attached to his stomach or yeah. something like that. It's, it's just a testament to the man's talent. This was actually one of the last uh, films to use these models and this makeup, as mm-hmm. we see um, a bit of a change to CGI after this. You know, we There's a one scene that is done with CGI in this film, and it's when they go through the X-ray yeah. uh, thing with the skeletons, and that was um, a sign of things to come as, mm-hmm. as far as what... Uh, digital effects could do. Yeah. I mean, that was the major one in it, and I, I, I saw like a little making of it. Though I, I, I feel like the the bits where the receptionist is changing the color of say. fingernails and stuff. I think it pops like, and I think when the head kind of folds up on yeah, itself, yeah, I yeah. think there must be a little. But yeah, that's the major kind of set piece in it. The only the only film that really used CGI before this was the Abyss, and mm. it was deemed that you know the technology wasn't quite there to make it look photo real mm. on screen so the abyss was really groundbreaking but the the skeletons in, in this certainly look uh, incredible yeah it's a really good scene i, I really like it because it's like a callback to the beginning when he's going through it and then you know to see him sort of jump through it i thought that was really good and it's not just the the special makeup effects which are great but there's also like the models of mars which are terrific i'm glad you brought that up michael that is my next note we see this vast landscape of mars as uh, quaid is traveling uh, on the subway station to mars and it pulls out and that was actually made of three different um sets and very intricate camera work and you know that is something that could be done in a day on a computer now but this is hours and hours days and weeks of building the set putting it together, putting together the angles of the cameras, and it just goes to show what a labour of love a film like this can do. But, you know, it, it's not without its cost. Mm-hmm. And uh, the budget for this film was about uh, $60 million. Right. Uh, ridiculous for the time, but um, it actually pulled in about $120 million in the box office. Wow, well, there you go. And was one of, not bad for a, a film which was orig- originally given an R rating. Mm-hmm. So it ended up being 18 after they cut out some of the, the, the more gratuitous violence. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, yeah. But um, 
the, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Paul, uh, Rob Bodine, rather, he obviously got a bit disenchanted with Hollywood after that as it moved into the digital age, but he really deserves a tip of the high hat, I think, Michael. Absolutely. No, I mean, he, he is terrific. And, um, yeah, you just need to sort of look at his body of work and it kind of speaks for itself. Let's not forget Benny the Cab Driver's mutant arm that he reveals mm-hmm. towards the end of the film. Yeah. Man, I got five kids to feed! <laughs> Yes, indeed. He, he is special. So that film actually got um, a Special Achievement Academy Award for the special effects. Right. And that's, um, you know, this, this was, it, it was merited before the, even the awards came out. So they'd seen the, the creations they made and they said, you know, this film deserves it above all else. So uh, that's really a special moment for, for Bodine and his team. Uh, the sets, as you mentioned, were incredible. This... This is funny, this film, um, it was originally going to be planned to be put in Australia because they've obviously got this vast desert. If anyone knows the centre of Australia, it's all just kind of sand and stuff and that is quite... Well, that's what it is, <laughs> It's a simplification, it? but yeah, it's all sand. It's like Mars, but eventually they, um, they moved into Mexico and ended up repainting the whole uh, Zocalo subway station grey, which we see on, on Earth, and uh, Verhoeven's... Credit is saying that uh, you know this vision he had for this this dystopian Earth fit in perfectly with uh, Mexico City as they've got something called um, new brutalism. Right. It, that's the architectural style of some of the stuff in uh, in Mexico. Okay. And it's just it's just fantastically put together, a really heavy, dark, uh, concrete style which adds to the um, Total Recall's identity. A little uh, honourable mention to uh, music mastermind Jerry Goldsmith as well mm-hmm. for a wonderful score. I mean, I was watching the film this morning and the score just sets it off perfectly. It's pretty good. Uh, adding electronic percussion and uh, sound effects to your more traditional string arrangements to create something really, truly distinctive and memorable. Did you notice, did you spot Breaking Bad's Uncle Hank? Dean yeah, Norris Dean there. Norris as the man with the ladies' genitals on his face. Pretty much, yeah. Tony is yeah. what it's called. He's like the sort of mutant that survives at the end, and he's you got some real cheeks showing your face around here, Hauser. Look who's talking. He's amazing. He's he's actually quite a big character in the film. Yeah. He, does, he does a ridiculous high kick in a battle scene, mm-hmm. which uh, you know Mr. Peabody, Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad, could definitely not achieve. <laughs> so it's good to see him getting work when he's a bit younger. For sure. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw this film? I really don't. It must have been a long time ago. Yeah. And, um, is it one that you've gone back to again and again and again? Well, this is it. It's, it on the surface, you know, this is a kind of adventure, shoot him up uh, with Arnie, just giving out these great one-liners and killing everyone. But on subsequent view- viewings, there's just so much more to this film. On watching it today, I actually started to feel a bit more for the characters. Um, the character of Molina, who is um, a rebel stroke, prostitute, sleazy and demure. I really felt for her when... Sleazy and demure. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what she described yeah. as. And I felt for her that she'd, you know, she'd lost her lover almost. His identity had, mm-hmm. had been erased. And, and, you know, it was a very confusing time for her. Yeah. And I think it's... it's I've, I've got a real thing for, for prostitutes in films. I always feel for them. It's something about them. The hooker with the heart of gold. Yeah. It's a trope which pops up a lot in films that we like. But um, She doesn't... Like I forget that she, is she a prostitute? I, she certainly isn't dressed like one. She's sort of she's almost dressed like Ripley from the Alien films. She she's sort of a sort bit of, of a badass suit. chick. Yeah. Um, I think when when Arnold first pulls up and he wants to meet her, 
the guy at the last resort um, bar, which just is, looks like a great place to be. Yeah. Uh, he says that she's very picky with her customers. Yeah, yeah. And that suggests that maybe she's not actually a prostitute. Yeah, it's it like cover. maybe a cover for the, the yeah. underground resistance. Yeah. But uh, I mean, yeah, going going back and watching again and again, there's just so many layers to this film with all the identity juggling and whose side was he on, and it, I mean, we could talk for days about it, but. Mm-hmm. Every time I've watched it, I thought something different. I think, uh, so yeah, it's it's a really um, rewarding watch. I'd say mm-hmm. good, and there's there's no questioning your your love of uh, Schwarzenegger films, and you're you're a big Schwarzenegger fan, and you did vote vote this as your favorite Arnie film, and you know. If you wanted, you could be kind of snobbish about Schwarzenegger and his mm. accomplishments because he's not the greatest actor in the world, but and he's well, like this on. sort of muscle muscle bound meathead. So yeah, you you could be a bit sniffy about his films, but the fact is, he was probably the biggest movie star on the planet, not just literally, but like figuratively speaking, he was the biggest film star on the planet for the decade of the nineties, and he had massive, massive hits, and he's responsible for a lot of great sci fi, great action, things like that, and you know you can kind of you can kind of boil down his films to the over-the-top violence, the quippy one-liners, the homosexual undertones, if you want. Um, <laughs> I've not noticed any of these. No, okay. Um, so, for you to vote this number one, what makes this the ultimate Arnie film? So many things, Michael. Um, I think the first thing that comes across uh, in this film is is Arnie's passion for the project. Um, do my research you find out that he actually rescued this project from post-production hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, screenwriter Ron Shusett originally optioned this adaptation of Philip K. Philip K. Dick's book back in 1975, way before anything had happened, way before Blade Runner or uh, Philip K. Dick had become had ever been realised on the big screen. And he hooked up with uh, writer Dan O'Bannon from Alien. And uh, throughout this process, there was about 40 drafts of the script, all without a viable ending. They originally ended up pinning on this uh, this Mars Gets Air thing, which is why that doesn't come up at all in the remake, because it's not part of the Philip K. Dick thing. And they went into uh, pre-production in Australia with Patrick Swayze attached to it before the film company producing it actually went bankrupt. Right. And this is when Arnie came in and persuaded uh, Cal- Calcada, I think I call it, the, um, he persuaded the other film company to buy the rights to it for mm-hmm. about three thousand dollars, and secured himself a hefty uh, salary of ten to fifty million dollars to star in the film, which was absolutely unheard of at the time. From and from a sixty million pound budget as well, you know that's a large He's chunk a right. of uh, your but film's budget. Can you imagine if this film was made with Patrick Swayze in it? I mean, it'd be a completely different film. We've only seen Swayze. I mean, I've seen him dancing a lot, but we saw him kicking ass in Roadhouse, of course, but I just can't imagine him being in a sci-fi film like this. Yeah. Um, so after Arnie's persuaded these other people to do it, he brought on uh, Paul Verhoeven to direct after seeing his work in Robocop. And did you know that Arnie was actually uh, considered for the role of Robocop, but he was actually too big and muscular to fit in the, in the suit? Yeah, maybe far too imposing. That's uh, and that's maybe a bit of a waste as well. I mean, it's kind of yeah. I think he he would take over that film. Yeah, but we have to remember that Arnie wasn't really a big star back here. He, he only had a handful of films under his belt. It was. Um, so Paul Verhoeven came on, um, Amsterdam-born uh, director, best known for Robocop, Basic Instinct, uh, Starship Troopers, and also Hollow Man. Yeah, and this was really a match made in heaven. These two got on like a house on fire. Mm-hmm. A director known for his over-the-top, uh, violent, uh, misogynistic, and 
politically satire-driven films mm -hmm. uh, with Schwarzenegger. It was absolutely perfect. And this Verhoeven is a real character. He's very dynamic. Uh, he was very physical on set, getting into the scenes, demonstrating, and he really pushed Arnie. And uh, the relationship was so good that um, whenever there was a problem with financing, Verhoeven would talk to Arnie, Arnie would talk to the studio, yeah. and Arnie, who's of course the cash cow in this scenario, gets his way just like that. So this is what this is what pushed the budget at, yeah. into the sixty million mark. It's and, a, it's a sign of somebody using like their kind of diva superpowers to, yeah. for good, rather than saying I want a bigger trailer. It's I want more exactly. more of this in the film. Well, he's using it to, to further the film. I think the the shot that we spoke about earlier with the Mars landscape, it was an exposition shot. It's mm -hmm. the only shot in the whole film where you see the Mars landscape, and the studio was saying that it was far too expensive. And uh, Arnie went there and got that fixed, and mm. you know it is the it is the first moment they get to Mars, and without that, it would feel very um, claustrophobic, I think, within the other sets, without that uh, vast landscape being set up. Mm -hmm. So, um, just a, a fantastic situation. Um, why is it my favourite Arnie, Arnie film? I mean, it's it's Arnie's performance. As I said before, that we we seen him in. Um, let's see, he was in Terminator, Conan, Running Man, and Twins. All of which were successful. But Running Man's really the only film in that uh, list where he got to be the lead role by himself. Mm -hmm. And after this, we can see that Hollywood's faith in him really grew. It really propelled him to this new level of superstardom with Terminator 2, Kindergarten Cop, True Lies, Last Action Hero. These were all films that had Arnie as the anchor really Unt carrying the film. Until he finally reached the pinnacle in Junior. And that was really the top for him. Well, that was true. Nowhere yeah. else to go but down. Yeah, but again, he, you know, he was with uh, Danny DeVito with that yeah. film, so it was a, a double heading. Mm -hmm. But I mean, uh, it's your classic Arnie film. It's got your one-liners. It's got ridiculous, over-the-top violence. It's got the three boobs. It's got stolen identities. Everything that Arnie film should have mm -hmm. is all in this one film. It's an absolute masterpiece of the genre. I want to. I know this is your show, and I certainly don't want to, to hijack it. You're you're doing a great job, but I do want to talk about my favorite scene in the entire film. Let's go. Which um, when we t I think I mentioned it when we did episode one, the Arnie top five, and it'd been years since I'd seen it, and I've watched it recently for this show, and it, that scene stuck in my mind as it did as the highlight today, and it's the scene with Doctor Edgemar, yeah, played fantastically by the kind of weaselly Roy Brocksmith who's kind of sent in while Quaid is lying low to try and convince him that this is all in his mind and he's kind of stuck in the recall building and he needs to take this pill as a sort of gesture to going back. And I just think that that is absolutely fantastic. It's superb from Brocksmith because it kind of starts and he's kind of like this weaselly guy and he's like, oh, would you mind if I come in? I want to talk to you. And then like he kind of gives him the spiel. And I don't know about you, but I distinctly remember the first time seeing it. He convinced me. I was like, oh, shit, it's really? on his head, yeah. And it's great, it's just a scene that kind of exploits the unreliability of memory and how you might, how things might be an illusion to you and it attempts to kind of turn the plot of the film on its head and for a while you think you're going to go a completely different thing. And then he kind of morphs into this, you know, as kind of the panic sets in with him as well. He goes from this kind of soft-spoken doctor to sort of bossing Arnie around and you've got like this uh, kind of older, unassuming guy just being like, put that pill in your mouth! Swallow it, and then oh, just—I think it was absolutely incredible. That's a real pivotal point in the in the movie, Michael, because that's the first time that um, the film blatantly invites the the viewer to question the reality. Mm -hmm. And um, you're right, that man—we see him before in the advert for Recall. Actually, mm -hmm. he, he's set up before, but he comes into it. He comes to—I mean, if, if you're looking at the narrative that everything you see is reality, he's been brought to Mars 
to uh, try and trick Arnie. Yeah. And the other way of looking at it is he's a fail-safe device within mm-hmm. the recall memory system to get him out of the schizoid embolism that he's gone into. <laughs> so it's, it's ridiculous to bring back uh, Sharon Stone, the wife, and, yeah. and this is after he's had this ridiculous fight with her in their apartment at the start of the film, mm-hmm. and she comes back to try and convince him to wake up from his dream. And back return. to the timid, uh, loving wife. I know, and it's, um, it's, it's a ridiculous scene. And, um, of course, it's not just the viewer that's invited to question it, but the character, um, yeah. Quaid, is invited to, to uh, realise all these things so far might be a dream. There's too much coincidence that mm-hmm. this secret agent implant that he's got has brought him to Mars. You know, the, char- the character uh, of um, Melina, they said, you know, this girl Melina, she's not real, she's a figment of your imagination. Mm-hmm. Arnie says, she is real, I had dreamt of her long before I came to Mars. And he said, listen to yourself, Doug, she's real because you dreamt of her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the viewer's just like, well, maybe this is all a dream. Yeah. And uh, the, looking back on the film, the key moment of where it all could separate is at the recall centre. And, uh, you know, he, he freaks out, but is he given the implant and the freak out is the dream? Mm-hmm. Is the freak out, is everything that happens after they sedate him and he goes into a cab, is that him dreaming the rest of the film? Mm-hmm. So you've got three three scenarios that everything you see on screen is real, and that's what I took it as the first time I saw it. Yeah. He does travel to Mars and all this does unfold. The second one is that it is all part of the recall program, which he then has been able to ma- manipulate and all the things from his dreams, that his, his real wife and all these characters pop up into it because he's brought them in, in, in his dreams, in the recall. Uh, and the third scenario is that they sedate him after he freaks out at the station and then he dreams the rest of it on his way home. I've gone cross-eyed. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And um, the good thing about the film is it doesn't, it doesn't give you a, a conclusion to that. No. Even right up to the last scene... Uh, Quaid says to Melina, kiss me quick before I wake mm-hmm. up. And then he looks down and there's a little origami swan. And, uh, <laughs> there's a and unicorn. Like, oh no. And then the spinning top kind of... Uh, well, this is both. it. Inception's also a film that does this, but I think in Inception it's more annoying for the viewer that it's left open, whereas this it's more, uh, it's more of the fantastiche. Yeah. I, I don't know. Inception never really bothered me. I think, I think it was just... They just wanted to end it with, well, you're not meant to know. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you want, you could say that the, the top was starting to wobble, but there's no clear sign of that. And, well, but anyway, we're getting, off, we getting are, off topic. But no, this is a film that I think you can interpret lots of ways. Mm-hmm. And people indeed have, have written essays on... You know, what is reality? Is reality just what we are shown in front of us? Mm-hmm. Is it what we are seeing? Is it, do we take it for granted that what we see in front of us is real? Mm-hmm. And um, this is what the character has to deal with. And the interesting thing is there's, there's almost three different characters that Arnie is in the film. He's Hauser, who is uh, with the evil Cohagen, who is apparently um, sent to Earth undercover and then is to, do, to bring him back to Mars. I mean, I can't, I can't even keep up myself, my first one, because... <laughs> To, to trick the rebels into trusting him to unlock, to, to, to find the rebel hide base. And then you've got Douglas Quaid, who apparently was undercover with the rebels beforehand mm-hmm. and fell in love with Melina. Was he using them or, or did he really fall in love with her and change his ways and then get sent back to Earth? And then we've got the one that we follow in the story, which is the one that lives with Laurie, played by uh, Sharon Stone on Earth. And all this happens to him. And this is really the character that we're, we're brought with. And he learns throughout the way of the film to become this different person given all this information about himself but mm-hmm. 
never reverts to these past personalities. He yeah. always builds and becomes a new personality based on this. Yeah. And you see himself, he's, he's shocked by what he can do, what he can do physically mm-hmm. when he kills all, all his friends in the subway station on Earth. And uh, throughout the film, he's, he's always shocked of his capabilities as a secret agent because it's almost like the muscle memory comes back. Yeah. And we see that a bit more in the remake with Colin Farrell. He looks even more shocked. I think he's got slightly more range than Arnold Schwarzenegger in the facial uh, expressions. Perhaps. But it's it's a real head fuck, this film, Michael. Sorry to be uh, drop, dropping uh, F and in Jeff. No, that's okay. We've got the explicit column on iTunes. You can say what you want. But it's... Um, it is something, it's, it's a very rewarding watch, and uh, it is the Thinking Man's action film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perhaps you can help me out, because I was taking notes um, regarding kind of the beginning of the film where you go to recall, and I can kind of understand you can't afford a holiday, so have, have a memory implanted into you. That's fine, and like you could do sort of a family package deal so you all kind of share the same memory. Yeah. Well, where he lost me is like this sleazy salesman doing this pitch where... You can be someone else. Because how's that going to work? You have a memory where you went on holiday and you were a spe- secret agent. Because then when you come back, you're, you're not a secret agent. Yeah. And you know you're not a secret agent. And if you bring up that you were a secret agent to people... Or, like, say, the other options that he was given, like, be a sports star or something. People yeah, yeah. will just be like, well, you weren't and you never were. So so you're asking, how does that fit into your real memory? Well, how, how does it... Yeah, I mean, how, how do you react to that? Because then, then, that, then the illusion is blown. And you're yeah. just like, well, this... this this isn't true. I don't know why, if you were running such a such a fragile company that messes with people's memories, why you would option this this ego trip package, as yeah. it's called. Um, I don't know. And uh, there, there is a theory that the reason the Hauser character comes into it is to re- remove Douglas Quaid from the uh, from the memory almost. So the Hauser character is actually the secret agent, and that's that can help not to damage the psyche of Douglas Quaid. On Earth, right? But I know what you mean. Okay. It's, it's a tricky loop. I'm hanging. I'm just about hanging in there, following you. I just don't know why you would offer that at recall. Well, it just wouldn't work. I don't think. No, because it is. I mean, it's a fairly stringy. You know, because if you go on, if you implant a holiday memory in your mind and you come back and go to your wife, oh, that was a good trip, and she was like, no, nah, it wasn't. But I mean, if the thing is, you know yourself that you went to recall. They don't erase your memory of going there, so you know that you went there, right. and this was just. It's almost like remembering a dream, except it's it's more vivid. And like you feel like you've experienced it. You have the satisfaction. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Fine. Um, I mean, you have to suspend your disbelief with these things. Yeah. I'm not going to be a pedant about it. It's fair enough. I mean, we're not there yet, but I mean, it is, uh, it is something which should be interesting in the future. Maybe our children will go to recall. Mm-hmm. Changing tone slightly, are you aware of the Total Recall drinking game? No. No? Okay. Well, this is something we might have to try at some point. So... There are various rules to it. Um, the first one is take a drink every time someone says Quaid, Mars, or Recall. Love it. And the rules of the game suggest you just pick one of those because if you do all three, you'll be absolutely <laughs> you'll be gone. Well, there's one scene where where Hauser's on the video screen in the briefcase, <laughs> and uh, he, you know uh, Quaid smashes it, yeah. and it's just on repeat saying. Get your ass to Mars. Yep. Get your ass to Mars. Get so your it, ass to Mars. It's like it's the uh, movie equivalent of Roxanne, the <laughs> exactly. drinking game. Yeah. Then, then you have take a drink every time someone gets shot, which happens quite a lot. Everyone gets shot in that film. Take, a prostitute gets shot in the boobs. Yeah, you don't really see that. In my mind, she got shot and it comes through her boobs at the other side, but that doesn't happen. Oh, not the three-breasted one. Another one just comes along she? and she's incredibly busty. And she gets shot right in the movies and falls down. That. The midget prostitute mm-hmm. wielding the machine gun on top of the bar, which is just an amazing image. 
and she's out here at the store. She's like, if you need any help with this one, give me a shout. Yeah. Uh, she can take care of herself. She is shooting everyone up. And actually, a scene that got deleted is when she stabs a guy in the crotch and then guts him from crotch to sternum. Uh, and that scene actually got removed from the R rating. That's, um, that's Richter's, like, lackey, is it not? The specky guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Because like you see him, kill. he does get, like, kind of stabbed in that area. He gets stabbed in the cojones, and then the next scene, he's got the knife in his uh, chest. Uh, and that's where they had to cut it. But, I mean, uh, oh, everyone gets killed. There's a time, uh, very near the start, where Arnie uses a man as a human shield, who just gets shot to shit. I was complete disregard for this. I was going to say, one of my notes is, Quaid is a bit of a dick to random members of the public. Yeah. He certainly isn't a hero in that sense. Because, yeah, he uses one poor guy as a human shield. There's another scene where they're just kind of running down some steps and he just shoves a member of the public yeah. and he sort of goes arse over elbow over the, over the railings. He doesn't give a, doesn't give a shit, no there's, remorse. There's, a, there's an absolutely needless shot of, what, of a dead henchman just getting, getting stood, stood, stood on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's Michael uh, Michael Ironside's Richter just Richter, like, step because he didn't give a He a, walks a over his, his own man. henchman's dead body, yeah. and uh, the, he's a he's a real ruthless uh, villain actually in this film. Yeah, and he plays it so well. But no, you're right. But I would argue that that's um, Quaid's secret agent training coming in. Mm-hmm. That is survival, um, yeah. survival of the fittest. He's, 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 he's like a very ridiculous James Bond. Yeah, with less clever one-liners. Fair enough. Uh, just getting back to the drinking game, it's uh, take a shot every time somebody takes a taxi ride, which I think okay, happens yeah, quite a lot. lot that, yeah. Take a drink every time Arnold makes everybody laugh. Um, I can't really remember that happening too much. He doesn't make anyone laugh. In he, nah, there must be seen, it might even be like his stupidity where and people are just like, haha, you really don't know anything. I don't know. I'd have to I, watch that. That's the one I would take if I had work in the morning. And then the the... There's one where whenever the three-breasted woman appears, the last person to say boobs uh, has to finish their drink. <laughs> so that's the total recall drinking game. Baby, you make me wish I had three hands. <laughs> You're doing just fine with two. <laughs> Uh, that well, guy Benny is the comedy relief for that film. Yeah, but then he switches it on you. He, well, spoiler alert, he yeah. is working with Cohagen. Man, I got four kids to feed. What happened to the fifth? Damn, you got me. And he's got a big crazy mutant hand, which is hilarious. He does, as he well. turns on his own mutants. But that's weird because what I mean, there must be mutants working for Cohagen. Mm, don't know. And he's just like, look at this crazy hand, and they're like, oh, you must be one of us. Man, I would be like, stranger danger, get this guy out of here. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, but uh, Quaid was vouching for him. He's like, he's with us. I know, but who's Quaid? They don't, they don't know who the. Oh, it's yeah, well, okay, fair enough. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here, Hauser. Look who's talking. We've covered quite a lot in terms of special effects and the multi-levels of reality, potentially, and uh, why it's the ultimate Arnie film. This is really your last chance, and I know you've got substantial notes, and I certainly don't want to give you free reign to to have at it. So really, this is um, why, why should this film be in the Hall of Fame? As 90s action films go, this is a pinnacle because the plot is so clever... You've got stars of the time like Sharon Stone and Arnie and uh, Ronnie Cox, is it, that plays Cohagen, mm-hmm. and um, Michael Ironside, really giving it all they've got, hamming it up to the top. Ironside is terrific. Ironside as, as Richter is terrific. Um, Arnie puts in a decent performance. You know, he's, as you mentioned, he's not the greatest actor, but um, the fact that he's constantly confused and having to adapt to his circumstances, <laughs> it, it makes him vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And to see this uh, swollen Austrian vulnerable really leads to the likability of his uh, of his character. Some of the most uh, quotable uh, one-liners in cinema history. I mean, we've, we've done a few of them already, but uh, he even says "get down," which he says in some of his films. He doesn't say "I'll be back," which I think came into it after yeah. his career. But um, 
great sets, uh, believable futuristic gadgets, and uh, a clever plot that just leaves the viewer with questions. Um, Arnie himself cites Total Recall as the, the film that propelled him into a, a real the new bracket of success. And um, along with the special effects, I mean, it, it goes up there alongside something like The Thing or Robocop as something which really does belong in the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame, Michael. Fair enough. Okay. <sighs> this is tricky. Well, okay. Oh, you got more? I've got more. That I closing mean, gambit. You, you go, just, no, go for it. You just look like... Go for, no, no, go for it, go for it. I mean, you let in um, Andrew Fenix, Blumen... What was that film? Uh, Kill List. Kill List. Yeah. And, I mean, come on, Kill List against Total Don't, don't give up yet. Yeah, if you've got more, throw I mean, throw there's so there. much gratuitous violence. There's enough there to, to entertain the most bloodthirsty of, of viewer. There's plenty of swearing. Um, there's just enough political comment on the corruption of the ruling elite to satisfy those looking for satire. Not to mention a deeper level of thought given to the perception of one's own reality, Michael. Mm -hmm. What is real? What is a dream? Should we just accept the reality presented to us? Or should we look deeper into the future, into our own lives, into our own hearts, Michael? Look into your hearts and put this into the high hot fall of fame. Okay. I'm on my knees here. Okay. Bound, gagged, shackled. It was pointed out to me quite recently that there's an argument to be made that the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame doesn't count for anything until we start turning films down. There may be something to that. What I don't want this list to be is a list dictated by my own personal tastes because, you know, I, I want this list to be something bigger, bigger than just what I like and what I don't like. Uh, if you go back to episode number one of the Hi-Hat Film Podcast when we did our, our Schwarzenegger Top 5, this was your number one film. It wasn't my number one Arnie film. Was uh, it in your Top 5 at all? I believe it probably was. I think it was quite high up the list. Uh, Running Man, I think, came in at number one for me. So in terms of that, you know, it's not my favourite Schwarzenegger film. Fair enough. Uh, you mentioned Rob Bottin, or Rob Bottin, Bottin, who is remarkable and is a legend and you, you brought up off microphone that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame in himself and mm -hmm. I, I think, yeah, he's in. Good. Welcome to the Hall of Fame. Looking at his list of films, you know, I'm not even sure that this is, represents his best work. I would maybe cite The Thing as his best work. So the argument that if it's on Rob Bottin, on my personal preference, then again, maybe it wouldn't go in. But again, this isn't about about personal taste. This is about people coming in and making arguments. Well, and I would argue for that, Michael, that if you take away Bottin's work from The Thing, you're left with a pretty empty film. Yes. If you took away the special effects and the aliens from Total Recall, what you've got still is a very clever <laughs> and watchable film. <laughs> Fair enough. And so, yeah, I could, if I wanted to, make the arguments, well, it's not my favourite Arnie, it's not my favourite Bottin, it's not my favourite sci-fi... You know, I could make all these arguments and I could say it's not in. Um, My God, so, yeah, I so, so I will. Too bad. No, um, what I was saying and what I, I pointed out in the last episode is, is if people are coming in and talking about a film that means an awful lot to them and are doing their doing their homework, as you clearly had, you're sitting there with your... I've got four pages of notes. Four pages five. of notes printed out. Um, and I know how much you love this film. And it is... It's it's a really good film. It's really satisfyingly violent. It doesn't pull any punches. It's uh, potentially one of Arnie's best performances. It's maybe a better performance than Running Man. And I think you made arguments about that. I think 
there's more depth to like if you wanted to you could look at this film as a by the numbers kind of sci-fi actioner but as you have argued with the different levels of reality there's a lot more going on than that and we had a fairly heated discussion a couple of weeks ago about returning to a film and seeing different things each time that you watch it. Um, I think while you were slandering Andy Fennick's uh, choice of kill list, as you've done again today. Yes. Um, so with all of that, I mean, what you have done is given me absolutely no reason why Total Recall shouldn't go into the High Hall of Fame. Uh, I was so set to not let you in because it's a film that I, I quite like, but I'm not enamoured with. And because I'm kind of desperate to say no to somebody, and who better to say no to than my old host, someone who I love like a brother, and I know it wouldn't hurt our chances, but... If you, if you if, don't let us in, you can consider this a divorce. Yeah. Um, but you, I, I, I can't have any sort of integrity on this with someone who's come in and made such a good case, made such, so many good points, and then to turn around and say, I can't let this film in. So... Absolutely, Total Recall is going to be entered in as the 10th film in the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame, where it will sit alongside my own personal pick of The Big Lebowski, Princess Mononoke, Theatre of Blood, Fight Club, Kill List, Stand By Me, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, Jaws, and Koyana Skatsi. So congratulations, Total Recall Celebrate goes alongside good that times, as well. come on. It was a relative, I know, apart from anything else, you were so furious about your, your own pitiful display in Attack of the Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Who you have nobody to blame but yourself, that I might add. You should have gone with the professional wrestlers. That, that was catered especially for you. Um, so, whereas that was could be seen as a minor failure, the fact that you've managed to, to sway, sway me around to submitting Total Recall is a glorious triumph uh, that will go down in hi-hat history. So congratulations, Nick. I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face, listeners. Why is he known as a glorious return to the airwaves for me? Mm-hmm. If you've not seen Total Recall, shame on you. Mm-hmm. Sit down, shut up, put it on, and hold on tight to your seats because it's a thrill ride that will leave you gasping for air like so many Martians were. <laughs> well, uh, I think we can. Uh, with the, that's a perfect way to kind of close the Total Recall discussion. Nick, it's been great having you back on. Thank you very much. We'll end as we often did with a handshake and a cuddle and a, a, little, a little tickle under the ribs. Uh, Hopefully we'll maybe. Hopefully this isn't the end of our uh, online podcasting partnership. I think we we owe the listeners uh, the odd top five, and we certainly owe your nemesis Andy Fennick a discussion of um, what was it? What was the film? Kill list. No, what was Instantly the film? Forgettable. No, what was the film that he, uh, he he we had to do on the last DVD club? Oh, my Winnipeg. My Winnipeg. We oh, have to sit. Grief. We have to sit down and watch that at some point. That's the reason I I, I came off the podcast for that. Of a yeah. film. So we might do that in between a couple more Hall of Fame ones, but uh, it's been great to sit down with you again for an hour. This has been one of our shorter chats. You know, the episodes used to clock in at about an hour and a half, so to come in at under the hour mark, I think, is an achievement for both of us. And do you see how smooth these things can run when I don't have to remove all the slanderous comments <laughs> that you that you usually make? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been great, Michael. Thanks for having me, and um, I guess I'll see you rest down the road. I'll see you there. Sweetheart, we're married. Consider that a divorce. Well, my goodness, that was all in good fun, wasn't it? Against all odds, it has been a glorious return to the High Hat Film Podcast for Nick. Always a pleasure to sit down with him and have a good chat about the film. And as you can tell, the old magic is still there. 
In a nice little throwback to our first ever episode, Total Recall reigns supreme once again on the Hi-Hat Film Podcast, this time blasting its way onto the Hall of Fame like a laser blaster through the chest of a three-breasted woman. Making it film number 10, if you're keeping score at home, the list now reads The Big Lebowski, Princess Mononoke, Theatre of Blood, Fight Club, Kill List, Stand By Me, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, Jaws, Kuya Naskatsi, and now Total Recall. It is quite the list, from Japanese anime to old-school westerns, via some classic blockbusters and poetic documentaries. There really is something on this list for everyone. If you'd like to be on the podcast, submitting a film for consideration into the Hall of Fame, then shoot me an email. That's hihatfilmreview at gmail.com. You can also join in the fun over on the Hi Hat Facebook page. We often do fun little trivia stuff and discuss some new releases over there. We're always looking for people to contribute, so feel free to head over there. It's well worth a look. Facebook.com forward slash hihatfilmreview. Be sure to go on to iTunes for our back catalogue of recent podcasts. We have episodes stretching back to the beginning of our, the year when me and Nick sat down and talked about the year 2013 in review. So if you want to relive that year in cinema, head on over and have a listen on iTunes. And if you feel so inclined, leave a review for the show there as it helps us a great deal. You can also follow me for film-related info condensed into 140 characters on Twitter at ClancyHiHat. Thanks very much for listening. I will leave you with the final words of Vizzini in The Princess Bride. Never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line. I don't think anyone's going to tell us when to leave. Yeah, good call, Garth. Uh, I'll bet we're just going to sit here, and when they're finished, they'll fade to black. I can't believe they did that. I told you.